if we focus on an interest that we're actually good at and spend years cultivating that interest, it will over time become a passion. Welcome to the Veterinary Financial Podcast, where we discuss financial freedom and whole life success. I'm Meredith Jones, a veterinarian in Virginia. And I'm Willie Bidot, a lab animal specialist in California. We're excited to announce the dates of the 2023 Virtual Veterinary Financial Summit coming up on September 30th and October 1st. Go to vetfinancialsummit.com to learn more. Our guest today is Steve O'Ely. Steve is a contract veterinarian in New Zealand, a career coach, and the host of the Next Step Vet podcast. Steve, welcome to the show. Great to be here, guys. Well, Steve, your tag phrase in LinkedIn says, helping vets stuck in their career to make changes. What does that mean to you? So essentially, I used to be that person. I was a vet that had been qualified about six or seven years, and it kind of bounced between jobs. I'd had periods where I'd really enjoyed being a clinical veterinarian and other times where I just really wasn't that happy. And I reached the stage in my career where I felt stuck but didn't really know what steps that I needed to take to make change. I mean, we'll get into the life coaching, the career coaching later on in the episode, I'm sure. But through the process of getting life and career coaching myself, I have since designed a career that works for me, and now my mission is to help other veterinarians stuck in their career to make change. And I've noticed not just within my friends group, but part of the inspiration for this is it felt like every second vet that I spoke to indicated some unhappiness in their profession and wanting guidance or not really knowing where to go to make change. And so Steve, over the last couple of years, have you seen an increase in veterinarians who are interested in changing their career path? Uh, I'm going to go a step further than this and say that I feel like it's in every profession. I don't know what your guys' individual perspectives are on this, but I think what the pandemic did was because people started spending more time working from home and actually having more time to themselves, it forced them to reflect and actually say, hang on, maybe there's more to my life than my job. And Definitely within corporate jobs, we know of people that then went back to the office and suddenly realized, actually, hang on, I was able to do my job from home and far happier, not having to commute. But within the veterinary industry, I know myself, I had reduced hours as a result of the pandemic, which then gave me more time to reflect and actually made me realize that there was more to my life than my job. And I think within the veterinary space, the pandemic has definitely forced people to consider more to their lives than just their jobs. Interested in your guys' perspectives on this. Meredith, have you noticed anything similar? Yeah, I've seen quite a few vets who are looking to change either their career focus or sometimes their career path. Running the Debt-Free Vets Facebook group, we see a lot of discussions about that. And I've seen quite a few vets who either their job changed during COVID just because of the increased demand and sometimes because of staffing shortages, things like that. I've seen more people leave their jobs and looking for something new. I'm also seeing an increase in the number of relief vets out there and people who are kind of shopping around and kind of doing the try before you buy, as yeah. Cindy Trice with Relief Rover likes to say. 
I've seen more folks like that. I also have had several colleagues who I've known for quite a few years who have changed from clinical role to an industry role or some sort of non-clinical or leadership role. So I am seeing quite a bit of it. What about you, Willie? Yeah, so, you know, we see it a lot in the debt-free vets group. There's probably a question every single day about different job offers and what to look for. And it's there's a good pain rate for the location. I'll go back to what Steve said. It just seems like people had had time to reflect on what's important to them and have decided, you know, okay, maybe an eight to five job is not the deal. Or, you know, maybe it's, I don't want to work five days a week and just decrease that. And usually we talk about in this podcast about financial matters, but hopefully people have the time to reflect, you know, is it important that I bring X amount of money to the table? Or can I just work three days, be happy with what I'm doing and continue with that? And again, with the pandemic, a lot of hybrid roles, you talk about relief veterinarians, you know, there's definitely a lot of options out there nowadays. Yeah, and to extend on your comment, Willie, about, you know, I appreciate you guys are a financial podcast for veterinarians, but it is a really important question to ask is if someone is earning really good money, but they've got no time to enjoy themselves, they're really stressed, they don't have time to exercise, they've got no work-life balance, maybe even their relationships are falling apart as a result of a well-paying job that's bringing them nothing else but money, we've got to acknowledge that there is more to a job than just being paid well. And I would argue that a vet job that finds that right balance between good pay and good hours and actually allowing time for breaks and allowing you enough energy outside of work to enjoy yourself might not bring you as much financial reward but there's a sort of a reward that's hard to put into financial figures to being in a job where you are more energized and happier both inside and outside of work. Yeah, definitely agree with that wholeheartedly. At the end of the day, it's, okay, what are you working for? A lot of us are working so that we can live the life that we want to live. And if we're working to a point where we're just going to get burnt out, then what's the point? Yeah, that's right. So for vets who are interested in making a career shift, what are the most common concerns they have? So um, it's funny that we're talking on a financial podcast, but I can tell you with 100% certainty that the biggest question mark for people is, oh, you know, I kind of want to change, but I'm in this financially comfortable job. And it's really interesting having actually researched this and talked to hundreds of vets in this space, is vets will both say that they don't get paid well enough for what they do but when they do consider making change, they're kind of scared of losing that financial security. So financial security is definitely number one, but a lot of that comes down to number two, which is a lack of career awareness. So the fears are both financial uncertainty, but also a fear of change because they don't know what other options are out there. But once they know the other career options that are out there for them, they'll actually come to realize that there are a lot of other jobs with their skill set that they could use that not only brings them more joy and fulfillment, but then financially they're getting paid as well, if not better than they're currently getting paid now. Then number three, in terms of the fears, is there aren't options near where I live. So geography is a big one. And some other fears that come up too is a lack of confidence. And the final fear that I can think of off the top of my head is the fear of losing your identity. So a lot of vets have committed a lot of time Potentially, they've wanted to be a vet since they were a kid. 
They've done at least five years of vet school, if not longer, if you're in the States, and then you've committed a number of years to this profession. Your whole identity is around being a veterinarian. And so to then say, actually, hang on, maybe I don't want to do this, there's a fear around losing your identity as a vet. And I actually cover this in one of my podcasts where we talk about losing identity. But to summarize it as quickly as possible, I would say that you're always going to be a vet. Even if you decide that actually I'm better suited to being a banker or I'm better suited to being a conservationist or better suited to being a teacher, no one can take those letters behind your name. You're always going to be a vet and you'll always be able to bring that skill set into other professions. So you used a term that I'm not familiar with just now. You were talking about career awareness. And so can you unpack that for us a little bit more? Is that mostly just being aware of all of the different things that you can do with a DVM or does it go beyond that? That's a really good question, Meredith. So there are two sides to this. There's the actual awareness of particular jobs in the marketplace. So there's gaining awareness from the sense of, you know, I can't just be a vet or a teacher or a lawyer or a doctor or maybe a vet industry role. Vets often have a very limited sphere in terms of what they can see themselves doing outside of being a clinical vet. But there are so many careers out there. We know that there's thousands of careers out there and there's plenty of jobs that don't exist today that may exist in five or ten years' time. So there are plenty of career options out there. But in terms of career awareness, it's that individual actually gaining an understanding of what other options are actually out there for them. But in terms of awareness in the space that I talk about it is when people start thinking about making change in their career, it's very easy to go and say, okay, I'm going to look for another job. But that's really what you should be doing at the end of the process. The first thing you should be doing is improving your self-awareness. Now, everyone has a level of self-awareness, but there are things that we can do to improve our self-awareness. And I know we don't have time on this podcast to talk about everything, but probably one of the most powerful things that you can do to improve your self-awareness is to start to journal things that are coming up every day. So what I get my clients to do is I get them to journal three successes from the day. I get them to journal feelings or emotions that are coming up each and every day helping them identify what particularly is energizing them and draining them at work. So when they start doing this, they'll often say things like, I feel drained after a day of work, or I lack energy, or I don't have energy left to do other things that I want to do. After a period of time of journaling, you'll actually start to notice that you'll get far more specific in terms of what particular things are draining you. So you might start to notice that actually, hang on, most consults are fine, But when I'm working with this particular person, this is draining me of energy. Or I like surgery and I'm enjoying surgery, but the moment I start to do something out of my comfort zone, I find that really stressful and draining. The more we can journal our emotions, our successes, the better aware we will become of what energizes us and drains us. We also journal successes as a way to understand what are things that are actually bringing us joy, both inside and outside of work. I also recommend, not so much from a self-awareness perspective, but just to improve your own happiness, is to journal at least one thing you're grateful for each and every day. Because like research has shown that if we journal things we're grateful for, it actually changes our mindset and makes us more positive. These are all things that are really important in that early foundational phase of understanding and designing a career that works for you. 
before we even start identifying your career strengths, your interests, your purpose, you need to get a better understanding of like what motivates you and what drives you individually. It's great that you brought that up. I was listening to your podcast uh, and, you know, the last two episodes have been about journaling and how it matters. I started journaling myself. I haven't been consistent because I've been traveling a bit, but um, what would you recommend as far as you should, should you do it in the morning or at night? Is there a time that's usually better for journaling? Um, there's no particular time, although I would say that what we know from developing habits is the easier it is to do something, the more likely it is you'll continue to do it. So what I do is I journal every night before I go to bed. And the way that I know that I'll do it is that my journal is kept in the drawer by my bed where also I keep a book that I read before bed. So that way, every night when I go to bed, inevitably I'll go and um, read for five or ten minutes before bed. And so there is my journal it's really easy for me to do it. I can just grab it out and it takes me a couple of minutes to journal those things that we just talked about. If you do it at the start of the day, it might be harder to reflect back on your previous day as to particular things. And let's be honest, most of us probably aren't at our best first thing in the morning. So I would say keeping your journal somewhere like the side of your bed where you're not going to forget to do it would be my recommendation. I love that. And it seemed like you might have quoted the book Atomic Habits, which we have discussed that book several mm -hmm. times in this podcast with, you know, <laughs> make the good habits easy. I have to be honest, it's not from Atomic Habits. Everyone talks about Atomic Habits, but I actually read this um, habit forming behavior from a different book called Tiny Habits, which I imagine is a very similar mm -hmm. thing. But in either case, I think those books are invaluable to people to understand how we form habits. So if you're someone that really wants to start exercising more regularly, but you know, you come home from work and you're a bit tired and maybe you don't feel like it, what he actually recommends in the book is to not make the habit of going for a run, but making your habit that when you arrive home from work, your running shoes are right by the front door. So you then put your running shoes on and your habit is actually putting on your running shoes and celebrating the fact that you put on your running shoes. And if that particular day you happen to be tired or you happen to have a sore ankle or something like that, you've still continued the habit on. And what happens is inevitably most of the time, because you put your running shoes on, you actually end up going for that run. It's a good example. Yeah, I love that. That idea of stacking habits. And I also like that you mentioned gratitude journaling. We had a blog that uh, we published last year where I talked about how I spent three months every day sitting down and listing three things that I was grateful for. And my background is I'm an emergency vet. And so I had been reading things for years about, oh, people doing gratitude journals and that sort of thing. And I was like, that's not for me. I didn't see that I would benefit from it. And then I did it. And now I understand. <laughs> so... But I started doing it just because I kept coming across so many studies because there truly are so many studies about all of the benefits of having a gratitude practice. So that's pretty cool. 100%. So Steve, for vets who are interested in non-traditional careers, how can we determine what our strengths are? That's a good question, Willie. I think the answer to that question applies to any career, not just non-traditional careers. But there is a really great way to identify your strengths. And it's been done by 30 million people around the world and is based on, I think, decades of research. It's done by Gallup. It's called the Clifton Strengths Assessment. And I'm just going to say right up the front that I get no financial compensation from recommending this assessment. It is the reason that I harp on about it is it was such a huge part to me identifying my own career strengths and making changes in my own life. 
So what they do is they ask about 180 questions and based on your answers, your strengths get listed from number one to 34. Now these are strengths that are applicable to almost any career and aren't specific to the veterinary industry. So for example, my top five strengths are futuristic, strategic thinking, communication, ideation, and resourcefulness. These are all kind of like bigger picture things. And when I got the results, it didn't really come up as a surprise to me that communication was a strength of mine. It didn't come as a surprise to me that strategic thinking and resourcefulness were a strength of mine. But one that really changed my perspective on myself was not only that futuristic was a strength of mine, it was my number one strength. And actually, I thought, hang on, now that I think about it, I've always been that person that can picture future things in the future. So futuristic is really the ability to see future possibilities, which is one of the reasons why I've ended up in the career space is that I look at someone and I see their strengths and their interests and their values, and I can see future possibilities for them. But until doing this strength assessment, I had no real appreciation of what an important strength of that was to me. And so therefore, I wasn't able to make the best career decisions for myself. What I've noticed with clients that I work with is all of them, when they get their results, none of them are overwhelmed and surprised as to like, I never knew any of this about me. But there is always at least one or two gems in there that make them think, actually, hang on. I've never looked at myself like this before. Actually, this really is a strength of mine. Now, with this information, we take this information and we start to look at what career possibilities might be suited to that individual. So now that they know their strengths, we start to look at their combination of strengths and what are the kind of common themes that are coming out. So in my particular scenario, I remember doing this exercise and marketing, sales, journalism, coaching were some of the consistent themes in terms of potential roles for me. Since then, I've done a marketing and sales role for a drug company. I have gone into the entrepreneurial space and doing career coaching for people. And so I've actually actively used the results of that strengths assessment to then design a career that better works for me. And with the clients that I'm working with at the moment, they too are taking these strengths and saying, how best can I use these in the workplace? And what are roles, either within the veterinary profession or outside of the veterinary profession, that might be better suited to my strengths? So Steve, I saw a quote where you said that passion is the result of a good career, not the start of it. What do you mean by that? I'm really glad that you asked this particular question, Meredith, because we grow up in a culture that makes us believe that people are born passionate about things. And so when the majority of us go out into the working world and maybe don't feel particularly passionate, we feel like we're a failure. What the experts are actually saying is that we shouldn't be chasing passion at all. We should be chasing things that we're interested in, spending time developing those interests in areas that match our strengths. If we focus on an interest that we're actually good at and spend years cultivating that interest, it will over time become a passion. So for example, when I started getting into the career space, I've always had a bit of an interest in self-development. And so when I realized that there was this niche for veterinarians needing career advice, I wouldn't say on day one I was super passionate about it. But for the last three years, I've really been doing a deep dive into what makes a meaningful career. And the more time that I spend talking about these things, the more passionate I become as a result of it. So for people that are currently in their job or their profession thinking, 
I'm not really passionate about what I do, what I would say to them is, what are the things that really interest you? And how can you better incorporate these into your current job or into a future job? And start really chasing those interests and spending time nurturing those interests as opposed to magically finding a passion overnight. By nurturing those interests that will eventually over time become a passion, you're not going to find a passion by like trying something once and magically becoming this thing that you're passionate about. It's so easy to see people on TV that are really passionate about a particular topic. We're seeing them potentially 10 or 20 years down the line in their journey. I mean, as an example, I think of Ed Sheeran, who was on the news last night. I imagine when he first picked up a guitar, he wasn't instantly super passionate about music. It was probably through years of playing instruments and spending time creating music that over time he became more and more passionate to the point that it's now his profession. So again, to reiterate what I said before, chase interests, not passion. That's powerful. And you know, building up to looking for a new career, how do you prepare yourself or build yourself as far as, you know, these are my strengths, I'm going to look for a new career. What should I do first? Like go to my LinkedIn and put my strengths in LinkedIn or go <laughs> see my resume and make sure that's up to date. How do I express those strengths? It's a challenging question to answer without sounding like I'm pushing people towards career coaching, but I would say that I would recommend that you get some guidance from somebody. It could be through an informal mentorship, but if you're really wanting the best results, you really want someone who's going to be invested in seeing you succeed and making change in your career. Because if you reach out to a mentor, which is not a bad thing to do, they might help you and point you in the right direction. If you get someone who's actually a career coach, it's actually their job to help you in this journey. And it's not really an overnight quick fix. So the reason that I'm probably not answering the question that you've specifically asked is there is no simple step from going from identifying your strengths to magically being in the perfect career. I guess a way of answering your question would be what would be the next step you would take now that you know your strengths. Probably the next step that I would recommend people would take would be for each of your top five strengths, list at least five potential professions or job descriptions that would be suitable for that strength, and then repeat that exercise for your top five. So now you've got a list of all these different jobs and job descriptions and potential careers. I would then highlight some consistent themes that are coming through in your strengths. And the best way you can do this is to go online and get the Gallup Strengths Finder 2.0, which is something that's a PDF you can get online for free, so you don't even have to pay anything for it. After you've done the assessment, it actually lists for each of the strengths, it actually gives you ideas within the book as to areas you could pursue. So to go back to my example, when I looked in the Strengths Finder 2.0 book for communication, it came up with examples of teaching and journalism and broadcasting and a few other ideas, which on their own weren't very useful. But then when I combined them with all my other strengths, I started to see some common patterns that helped me identify areas that I could consider pursuing. So I think to answer your question, I think the next step would be to just find some common themes within all your strengths. Thank you for that answer. And, you know, with that, you're stating that we should look for a career coach. What's the best way for our colleagues to get in touch with you? Yeah, the best way to reach me at the moment is via email. 
We're currently redeveloping our website to be more purpose-built for online coaching. But at the moment, if you reach out to me, it's steve at nextstep.vet. That's steve at nextstep.vet. And I'd be happy to point you in the right direction. All right. Excellent. Yeah. And we'll put that email address in the show notes and we'll put a link to your podcast as well. Before I get to our last questions, I wanted to unpack something with you a little bit more, Steve. I've been thinking about this a lot. So you said follow your interests. And we've had conversations on this podcast with Dave Nickel and others who talk about really finding a niche within veterinary medicine and really developing yourself within that niche and how a lot of times that can lead to a veterinarian feeling more happy in their career. But I also see conversations out there where people feel like they're inadequate because they're not fitting this mold that they think they need to fit of being this jack of all trades and saying, gosh, you know, I thought I was going to be James Harriet when I graduated, or I thought I was going to be the small animal vet who could do every little thing and who liked every little thing and loves dentistry, but loves surgery and loves doing all of those things. And maybe they have an area like surgery where they don't really enjoy it and they feel bad about it and they feel like it needs to be fixed. What would you say to that veterinarian? So two comments. One within the veterinary space. I do agree to a certain extent with finding a niche or niche that suits you as a person if that's the right thing for you. So for some people, if they do the career work, they might actually find, hey, I really like medicine, maybe I should become a medicine specialist. But to reverse that the other way, they might find that actually the stress of being a medicine specialist is going to be very similar to their current role in general practice. And maybe that's not the best thing for them either. But yeah, if you're adamant that you're going to be within the veterinary space, absolutely, you could consider going into a specific niche or niche. I still don't know how to pronounce that word. But I think we've got to address the elephant in the room here and that within the veterinary space, there are a lot of veterinarians who are unhappy in their profession, leading to mental health issues and, you know, even worse outcomes for some people. And so the reality of the situation is that being a clinical veterinarian is not the right thing for everyone. And in doing the career work, you need to discover for yourself whether you've got to find a place within the veterinary industry or whether there's a place outside of clinical vet work. And something I could say for people that are afraid of losing their identity as a veterinarian, most of the people that I work with that end up moving into areas outside of clinical vet practice still end up within the animal health space in some shape or form. And so by identifying their values, their strengths and their purpose, they'll often end up crafting a career that's still within the veterinary industry in some shape or form. And so you're really not losing your identity as a veterinarian by changing to something else. But if we address the issue of people being unhappy in their careers as the only solution is for them to find a niche within vet, they're really limiting themselves to potentially a life of more joy and fulfillment. You know, I'm working with a client who is really passionate about coding and he's now on the path to working in the space where he works developing some of the technology around cow collars. So he's still in some space working in the animal health industry. And I would actually argue someone like him is going to make more meaningful outcomes and change within the animal health space than that veterinarian working in a consulting clinic being the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. So you can design a career that works for you and still use your vet degree 
but it may not be as a clinical veterinarian. Yeah, absolutely. So you've given us a lot of things to think about there, Steve. I was just going to say, Meredith, I feel like being a financial podcast, I need to give you guys some financial advice. Sell your Tesla stock. And uh, (laughs) yeah, jokes aside, finances is not my specialty, but I would just go back to a comment made earlier in the podcast that as we consider our finances and managing going debt free and managing our finances, remember that there is more to life than money and that some of the people that have the most meaningful and happy lives have very little or no money at all. And that's not to dismiss the fact that we've got to consider our finances as we go on in our lives, but just to stop and think there is more to just working long hours in a job that you potentially don't enjoy to pay off a debt that is potentially going to take 20 or 30 years to pay off. So absolutely consider your finances, but think about the bigger picture stuff as well outside of your finances. All right, Steve. So now that brings us to our last question. What is your best advice for our listeners? I saw this question from you, Meredith, and I have to be honest, it's a very hard question to answer because there is no one quick fix for your career. Absolutely, I would say it would be a toss-up between taking steps to improve your self-awareness and also seeking advice from someone, whether that is getting career coaching, seeking a mentor, or even just networking in areas that interest you. I guess the long and the short of my answer is that there is no one best piece of advice making changes in your career is not something simple and easy. I think if listeners are looking for one silver bullet today, I would say of everything that I have done in terms of the work that I do with my clients, I would say that the Clifton Strengths Assessment is probably one of the most eye-opening things you can do for yourself. But if you just do the assessment and then do nothing else with that, it's going to be a useless piece of paper. You've really got to take that information and take action, which probably leads me to what might be the best piece of advice that I can give that's a bit more generic to our listeners is take action in your career. So action precedes motivation. If you're looking for inspiration in your career, you need to take action, which will give you the motivation and the inspiration. No change is going to happen in your career if you don't take action. And it might be as simple as reaching out to someone in an area that interests you, asking a mentor for advice. It might be as simple as going to your boss and saying, I'm not particularly enjoying this area of work and I'd like to spend more time doing this because it energizes me and interests me more. It might be changing your hours to allow you more time and energy outside of work. I guess the one piece of advice I could give if we're going to have one silver bullet would be to take action. I know I've answered this question in a very unusual way, but yeah, Do the Clifton Strengths assessment and take action is what I would say. All right. That's excellent advice. Yeah, that's great advice. And thank you so much for giving us a new perspective on career coaching, because frankly, I didn't know much about it. Thanks, Steve. No, thanks, guys. I really appreciate being on the podcast. If you like this episode, click the follow or subscribe button. Until next time, take care and continue your path to financial success. The information provided in this podcast is for informational purposes only. It should not be considered legal or financial advice. Consult with a legal or financial professional before making any investment decisions.